Father, as we approach your throne of grace and mercy here this morning, as the body of Christ, as your believers, as those who are your children, Father, we, we humbly praise you and worship you and give you thanks and glory and honor for all that you do and have done for us and are going to do with our lives as we go forward. Father, I pray for your word, that as we break open the bread of life, I pray that your word will not come back void. I pray that it will penetrate hearts. Fathers, I pray for the ears of all of us to be open. Many times your word says, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. So I pray that the receptacles of our mind connected to our ears will hear these words, that the vocabulary will be understood. I pray that your word will be powerful, sharp, piercing, and that it will divide asunder soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and that the word can then penetrate fully within us so that we will understand it and understand the grace and mercy and love that you've had for us. And Father, we've had many, many on our sick list here recently. We've had Waylon, we've had Dorothy, we've had Brother Ron, we've had all kinds in the hospital. We, we've got Michelle and Karen that we pray for. We've got people on our list. We've got Sarah who may be needing a back operation. Father, we've got lots of issues going on. And if I miss anyone, don't think that I miss you all the time, but I'm trying to cover everything now because a special request has been made for Brett Brummett. And Father, this young man down in Louisville was hit by a car and as he was walking as a pedestrian and been in the hospital for a couple of weeks and his recuperation is going to take six months to a year. And Father, we just pray right now as a body of Christ, we join together to lift this young man up before you at this time, that your power, that your hands of healing, that your divine nature will flow into him, Father, and that he will feel that power and that the journey will not last that long, that strength will be renewed. And we pray that you will be energizing the minds, the hands, the, the thoughts and the procedures of those who are working with him to be able to take them further Father, than what they ever thought they could do for him. So we pray for this, Father. And we pray for all of our people. And we ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. All right. We're going to get ready for one of the most exciting, exhilarating passages in the New Testament. Before we do, I got to tell you something I heard. Heard about this this guy. He had he had made a mistake. He made a bad decision. He had he had shoplifted a little bit, and he was an older fella. And his wife was out in the in the courtroom as well as as the judge was looking at his case. And he said, "Let me get this straight. You uh, you took a can of peaches." He said, "Yes." He said, "How many peaches?" do you reckon was in that can? He said, oh, probably six. He said, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a day for every peach that you took. So I'm going to put you, uh, sentence you to six days in jail. 
he had a sigh of relief because he thought it was going to be a lot more than that. And about that time, his wife stood up and being the honest person that she was, she said, "Uh, Your Honor, I think they forgot to mention he took a large can of peas as well. (laughs) I think it was in good spirit that she did that. (laughs) Anyway... Have you ever, ever really wanted to see grace in action? Turn to Matthew 1. Let's start off with what the New Testament is. You know, this is a season when the thoughts and the hearts of mankind begins to, to look at towards our Savior. Even those who don't normally think of God or the Lord Jesus Christ through the year much, at this time, that their minds can't help but to be directed to that. And no, I don't think that Jesus was born on December 25th. I think that he was born on some other day. I've, I've got a couple of good ideas. I may share that with you one day. And, and again, that will be ideas that I think that the scripture brings out. But I can't positively for sure tell you. But... I am thankful that they're trying to recognize that this month because what it does is it provides a window of opportunity to share the gospel with those who otherwise may be reluctant, may want to shut it out. They're more reasonably acceptable to the idea at this time, so I am thankful that we have an opportunity to talk about Jesus. And so... As promised. Oh, and I want to mention too, the church Facebook page. We was talking as we made these announcements and stuff. I wanted to wait because I had it here at the beginning of this. That if you follow the church Facebook page, I probably teased that once this week on Friday about the most exciting passage in the scripture. And if you come out today, you'll hear about it. And so what I want to plug is, is if that you are, have internet access and you haven't followed and liked the page, I would ask you to, to do that if you could. That's the only reason I do Facebook is to do this because we are able to disseminate information to all of you very quickly that way. Like if there's a power outage or the roads are bad or if we have prayer requests, people we can put it on there and get everybody energized and mobilized at that time and so that's the the whole purpose of it so if you haven't please do so so that you will be able to stay informed with everything but as promised by that tease and by the teases this morning Matthew chapter 1 the most exciting passage that we're going to see in a long time You're there with me beginning in verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram, and Ram begot Abimadad, and Abinadad begot 
Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon, and Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot, or Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. And David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam. Rehoboam begot Abijah, and Abijah begot Asa, and Asa begot Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat begot Joram, and Joram begot Isaiah, and Isaiah begot Jotham, and Jotham begot Ahaz, and Ahaz begot Hezekiah, and Hezekiah begot Manasseh, Manasseh begot Amon, and Amon begot Josiah. And Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time that they were carried away into Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shealtiel, and Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel begot Abiud, and Abiud begot Eliakim, and Eliakim begot Azor, and Azor begot Zadok, and Zadok begot Achim, and Achim begot Eliud, Eliud begot Eleazar, and Eleazar begot Mathan, and Mathan begot Jacob, Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. And all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the captivity are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. Man, did that just send tingles down your spine? Was that not the most exhilarating section of scripture that you've ever had? (laughs) I see furled brows (laughs) I see a couple of cell phones dialing 911 stop I don't I don't need a straight jacket I don't need to be they come to take me away Uh haha no this is exhilarating I want to share with you why we're going to explore this you see folks it's been almost 400 years since the Lord has spoke to his people after they came out of the captivity and began to rebuild the temple and the prophet Malachi ended his writing about 420 years before this God's been silent there's been nothing the people are waiting for something and they don't know what and after 420 years you can imagine the despair the oh we're about to give up and then all of a sudden the word of God starts to become active. And a lowly tax collector by the name of Levi, who's going to have his name changed to Matthew, gets chosen to start off the New Testament Scriptures. God's word to His people after over 400 years. And this is some of the most exciting, grace-filled 
merciful scriptures that there is. And let me explain. The mystery of the church age and of the Christ and of his death was kept silent. It was kept secret throughout the whole Old Testament. It was never revealed. Jesus told his disciples while he walked with them on Luke chapter 10 and verse 24. He said, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which ye have seen and have not seen them. And desired to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. All through the history, the things that we are about to study, they've longed for and searched for throughout the entire history. Blessed are your eyes and your ears. Because you get to now hear those things. The fullness of time have come. The Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world is being born. And he's coming into this world. And Matthew, a tax collector. Someone that society has set aside. They've scorned as somebody who is not worthwhile. He's a betrayer. Of our people and our nation. The first bit of grace. And love. That he has known in his entire adult life. Came when Jesus walked by that day. And when Jesus extended that grace. And mercy to him. He got up from his chair at the tax collector's office. And he followed him. And then he was honored by doing that and giving up the things of his life to follow Jesus. He was honored by being the one who opens up the new will and testament of Jesus Christ for us. And he writes from a special point of view. His, his point of view was to the Hebrews. And he was a Hebrew. But you're going to find out that he writes tongue-in-cheek because he's experienced Not only the grace from Christ, but he experienced the scorn and the hurtful words and the stares from all of the religious people that had been about in the day. So he takes particular delight in jabbing them and sticking it to them a little bit and stinging them where it counts every once in a while because you have thought that you were so almighty and powerful but you didn't really understand the grace of God. And, and most of them still didn't. So he loved to be able to poke some fun at them. And it starts off in this very first chapter with all of this. And so let's go back to Matthew 1.1 and do our, our beginning there. It says there, the Biblios Genesis. Genesis is Genesis in ours. It's where the word for the first book of the Bible comes from. It means a new beginning. And it says, this is the beginning. This is the origin. This is the scroll of the book of the beginning of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says the first point of view from a Hebrew understanding was, he's the son of David and the son of Abraham. What's that mean? Matthew wants to present his lineage so that they believe they are all about their lineage and keeping track of who's a priest and who's this and who's that. And he says, this 
one that's called Jesus that came into the world and brought in this new beginning. He's got a lineage that demands that you sit and take notice. And he begins with the legal right to kingship. He's going to be our king. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. And son of David is the term of kingship and honor. Luke goes all the way back to Adam, the son of God, in his genealogy. But Matthew starts here to impress them that he has the legal right to sit upon the throne of God. And then he says this, God keeps his promises. That's the whole scope of Matthew 1. And if you guys get nothing else besides that today, I want you to understand. God keeps his promises. When you read something in the word of God pertaining to you, cast your cares upon me because I care about you. That's a promise. And God keeps his promises. He's going to take care of you. I can work all things together for your good to those who love the Lord. So that's a promise and he keeps his promises. We find out sometimes it may take a long time for those to be fulfilled. We may doubt in between. But the thing is, God keeps his promises. And that's the takeaway from this. And the promise is son of David. He wanted him to know the, that he is the son of David. Well, what's that mean? See, every word that's written here is for a purpose. And he wants us to know what this really means. You see, there were two covenants given to Israel, eternal covenants. Everlasting covenants by God to his people. And one was the Davidic covenant. And one was the Abrahamic covenant. And that's why this starts out with son of David, son of Abraham. And what that means is this. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8-17. through 17. If you want to look up at the top and, and read there with me, it says this. This is a promise of God given to David. And he says, Now therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, that thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepcote, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, Israel. And I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest, and I have cut off all thy enemies out of thy sight, and I have made thee a great name like unto the great men that are in the earth. And I want you to take that passage and make it your own. Because God is with every one of us the same way. He says, I've been with you every moment. When you were in the sheepfold, I took you and I was able to make you king. And I can take you from where you are in your life at this point right now. And I can do wonderful things with you. I can take you from following after sheep on a hillside and I can make you king. And when God promotes you, you are promoted. And he says, I was with you whithersoever you went. Jesus said when he got ready to ascend, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the ends of the age. He, you are never alone. So this, take it personal. It's one of those promises of God. Moreover, verse 10, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and I'm going to plant them and they will dwell in a place of their own and no more will the children of wickedness afflict them as they did in the time before. And then he says, 
Since that time I commanded judges to be over my people Israel. I have caused thee to rest. We talked about that on Wednesday night, didn't we? To rest from all thy enemies. And also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee a house. And now we're getting ready to get into this promise that God made. I'm going to build you a house forever, he says there in verse 13, for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father. He shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I'm going to chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of children. So in other words, when we do wrong, we can expect to be disciplined for that. Things will happen in life. But he says, I am with him. My mercy will not depart from him the way I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before thee. And now here we go. And thine house, David, and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee, and thy throne shall be established forever. And according to all of these words and to all of this vision, so did Nathan speak to David through the Holy Spirit and through God. So Jesus Christ is this promised son of David that is going to sit upon the throne. And now, Abraham also immediately takes us to the other everlasting covenant as well. But the point is, is that this is grace. God says, I will have mercy on your house forever. And those that will follow that will be a part of that family. And a part of that relationship with me. And God keeps his promises. I want to go one more in this one to Psalm 89 verses 1 through 5. We need to rejoice in this fact. That's the thing about Matthew chapter 1 saying son of David. It is a great grace opportunity to rejoice. Listen to what Psalm 89 says. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness in all generations. You want somebody that's faithful? Have you, have you tried to depend on folks in life and they let you down? They weren't really faithful to you? He says, I can shout with my mouth the mercies of God and his faithfulness. He is always faithful to all generations. Mercy shall be built up forever and your faithfulness you will establish in the very heavens. And I have made a covenant with my chosen, God says. I have sworn to my servant David that your seed will I establish forever and build up your throne to all the generations. Salah. And the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, and your faithfulness also. Where? The assembly of the saints. We are the assembly of the saints right now. And we need to be praising God for his faithfulness and for his mercies and that he keeps his promises and that the throne of David is going on. So then, a thousand years later, a thousand years later, Matthew 1.1 comes and Jesus the Messiah comes and the promise is fulfilled that's going to take place. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him as he began his ministry. John 1 verse 47. Jesus said to Nathanael as he came to him, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. 
Nathaniel said, how do you know me? And Jesus said, well, before I ever saw you right here, I saw you sitting under the tree before Philip when he was going out to talk to you. And I saw you sitting under that fig tree. And Nathaniel said, Rabbi, you are the son of God and you are what? The king. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said unto you that I saw you under the fig tree, you believed, you're going to see greater things than this, Nathaniel. You're going to see the heavens open up, and you're going to see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And in John chapter 6, Jesus has fed the 5,000 men plus women and children with the five loaves and two fish. And it says there that when the men saw the 12 baskets of fragments that was taken up from just that little bit that fed everyone, probably close to 15,000, and they took up fragments, it says that they realized that this was the coming king, and they wanted to take him by force and make him king. And Jesus had to go up into the mountain alone. They understood how important it was that the king is coming. And then... They're waiting for the promise of God. What they did not understand is this, though, as they tried to forcibly take him and make him king, was that his kingdom in his first advent here, his kingdom was not of this world. Look with me, if you would, in John chapter 18. He stood before Pilate, and there before Pilate, Jesus was asked, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight. But now, and I want you to catch this, but now my kingdom is not from here. We're waiting for that other kingdom that he's the king of. It's a spiritual kingdom that he is dying for. And then later, he's going to have his real kingdom. But Pilate asked him again, are you a king then? And Jesus said, you say rightly that I am a king. And notice this. And for this cause I was born. You see, he was born for this cause to die to be king. And Matthew 1.1 says, son of David. This is the king. This is the king that's being presented. And his birth is the fulfillment of the prophecy. And he says, I have come for this purpose I was born and for this cause that I came into the world and I bear witness of the truth and everyone who is of the truth will hear and understand my voice. And then Pilate, it says, went out, John 18, 39, and said, Do you want me to release unto you the king of the Jews? And they said, No, we want Barabbas. And they released Barabbas, a robber, instead of their king. But that was all the work of the Lord. But then the next chapter goes on to say that as they prepared that cross and placed him upon it before it was placed upright, it says that Pilate went out and with his own hand wrote in three languages, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And then the cross stood up. The cross of grace, mercy, forgiveness, the offering of God's Son was because He was born 
for this cause. He came into the world for that cause, to take away our sin and be offered up even though as a king for us. Now, last part of Matthew 1.1, our text. Son of Abraham. What's that mean? The Abrahamic covenant. Did you know that the Hebrew or Israel is the only nation of people, to my understanding and knowledge, formed by faith? We are Americans either by birth or we fill out things to be a naturalized citizen, right? Whatever country you're in, you're usually born into that nationality. The Hebrew nation was by faith. Abraham was a pagan living in Ur of the Chaldees in the midst of the most demonic realm and that there is. And God saw faith in his heart and said, cross over away from the river, get out of that country, and I will take you into a place that I will show you, and I will make you the father of nations. So by faith, he crossed over the river, and the word for crossing over the river is Hebrew. And that's where it came, because by faith he crossed and became a nation. And God went so far as to explain that, and it's explained in Romans chapter 9 in the New Testament as well. But just so that we don't get the idea that it's by birth and not by faith that you come into the family of God, he had a son Ishmael, he wasn't accepted to be the one. He said, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And so that you don't think that it was because Ishmael was from Hagar and not his wife Sarah, he takes and then goes one step further with Isaac. He has twins, Jacob and Esau. The firstborn Jacob should have been rightfully, or Esau should have been rightfully so, but he went with Jacob. Because Jacob was a believer and Esau didn't believe. And that's brought out in the book of Romans as well. So that nation was by faith in God. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is by faith in him that you become a citizen of that. So let's go now to Genesis chapter 12 and look at this covenant with Abraham that he made in the first four verses. The Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, that's the first mention of the promise to Abraham. I want you to notice that he was 75 years old when this promise was made to him about being great nation coming forth from him as he crosses over. And I also want you to see there in verse 3 why it is so very important on a political scale, that the United States always stands on the side of Israel. Israel might wander from God, but it's God's responsibility to take care of Israel and handle 
any kind of discipline to them. Not any other nation. Because that's God's nation. And this promise still goes on that says, Those who curse you will be cursed. And those who bless you will be blessed. And you can go throughout history to this very day. And the nations who cursed them were cursed and fell by the wayside. So we need to always pray that not only Israel comes to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, but that our government always stands there ready to help them because we are a great nation by God's blessing. And part of that is we've always stood with them. And here lately they've tried to get away at times, but we need to stay with them. If we want to be a great nation for us and our kids and our grandchildren and our lineage going forward. But then he says this. We go on from that promise. Time moves on. There was a battle that Abraham had to fight to regain Lot back from five kings. And now Abraham is beginning to worry about retaliation from these nations coming back at him. And so he takes his concern to God in prayer as we should do all of our concerns. And in Genesis 15... God begins to talk with Abram and he says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to him in a vision saying, Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. Mark that one down as another promise to us. He is our shield. He is our protection and our exceeding great reward. But Abraham said back, Lord God... Just like we do because we have concerns. Even though we know these things, we still let life's concerns get to us, don't we? And here's the great man of faith, the father of faith. And we see him going, Lord, God, what will you give me as as a token? I'm childless. You promised way back something and I've not seen that promise come about yet. He says, look. The heir of my house, I'm childless still. If something happens to me, Eliezer, born as a servant in my house, would be the one that would take my inheritance. You have given me no offspring. Indeed, the one that was born in my house is my heir and not my seed. And behold, verse 4, the word of the Lord came to him saying, This one, Abram, shall not be your heir but the one that will come from your own body will be your heir then he brought him outside it's nighttime it's dark and he told him clear sky look up look up abraham and what do you see toward the heaven can you count the stars are you able to number them and he said this as a promise to him so shall your descendants be and it says that abram believed god and it was counted to him as righteousness and he said to them i am the lord that brought you out of ur of the chaldees to this land to inherit it and he said lord how shall i know that i am going to inherit it you see he had doubts too but the lord reassured him that my promise is still there look up at the stars that's how much your descendants will be. And he says, how do, I, how do I know all of this? Story goes on that they cut a covenant. And we're going to study that one day. How they did that and cut the animals in half and walked through it. 
It's a great story of the covenant that God made with him. But then we go on and we read in in Genesis 17 this. When Abram was 90 and 9 years old. Man, when did we start this? It said he was 75, right? Back in chapter 12. 24 years later, he's 90 and 9 years old. And the Lord appears to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be perfect, and I will make my covenant between me and thee, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God continued talking with him and said, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. Don't ever lose sight of the fact, even though it's 24 years later, and you're still childless, that think that God has forgotten his covenant with you or a promise that he's going to make. God fulfills it on his timing. He asks us to remain faithful to this. But he's on his face and the Lord's talking with him. He says, my covenant is still there. You will be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name be called any longer Abram. But I'm going to change it to Abraham because you are going to be the father of many nations. You will be exceedingly fruitful. And kings, Jesus, son of David, king, kings will come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed and their generations as an everlasting covenant. To be this, I will be a God to you and your people after you through faith and to thy seed after thee. And then it goes on to say that as God told him this in verse 15, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai anymore, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and give you a son by her. And I will bless her and she will be the mother of nations and kings and prophets shall come from her. Now I want you to look at Abraham now. Verse 17, he fell on his face and he laughed inside. And he said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man that's a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? You betcha. You betcha. You know why? God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. He likes to make us wait sometimes, though. And, and I want you to think about this. Sometimes he makes us wait until it almost seems impossible that something's going to turn around just so that we realize that it wasn't by our strength or our might or our doing, but it's through him. And he's waiting till he can build our faith in him before he finally acts upon it so that then we will be strengthened so much more. God keeps his promise. He made those promises and Matthew 1, 1 fulfills them. But there was one more promise that was made that I want to share with you that brings about this season and the birth of Jesus that's going to, we're going to continue to study. But this promise was also made. Genesis chapter 3. When man fell in the garden, there was Adam and Eve and they serpent and they ate of that forbidden fruit. The Lord made a promise also to Satan there in that garden. And he said this in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. 
God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you will eat dust. And as I typed that, I thought, isn't that funny? Because man is what? Dust. And you're going to crawl, and you're going to eat dust. Because you caused man to have to die physically and go back to the dust of the ground. So all the days of your life, you're going to crawl on your belly, and you're going to eat dust. And I'm going to put enmity, that means hostility, hatred, warfare. There's going to be a spiritual war between you and the woman. And in this war, it's going to be between her seed and your seed. And her seed, it will come and it is going to bruise your head. And I looked up that thing for bruise. Yeah, it means to bruise, but it goes a lot further. It goes deeper than that. It means to actually strike and to crack open and overwhelm. The seed of the woman is going to crack your head. It's going to deliver a blow that is devastating and overwhelming. And you will not be able to recover from that. And my dearly beloved children of God. That it's gathered here together today to worship him. I want you to know that Matthew 1.1 is the fulfillment of that promise. Jesus, the beginning, son of David, son of Abraham, son of God. Not only is he king, not only is he your spiritual heir, but he's the fulfillment of that promise that I made to the one who deceived you and caused you to be lost. He is the fulfillment of that. He delivers the death blow so that those who believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So now I ask you, is Matthew 1.1 and the genealogy proving the birth of Christ for our sins? Is that not the most exhilarating, exciting, uplifting passage in the word of God? He brings that to us right out the front. For this cause, remember, Jesus said in John 18, was I born, did I come in to this world for this cause, that I lay down my life for you. So as our worship team comes on back up, and we get ready to close out today, but to go throughout the rest of the next few weeks, I want us to not lose sight of this thought. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 4 through 10. This is a conversation that takes place on the day that Jesus comes into the earth. It says this, He had to be born because it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away our sin. Therefore, when He came into the world, Matthew 1.1, He said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body... You are preparing for me. All the burnt offerings and all of the sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. And then I said, and this is the Lord, 
Behold, I have come now to fulfill that. In the volume of the book it is written of me, and I have come to do your will, O God. Previously saying that the sacrifices and burnt offerings for sin you didn't desire or have pleasure in them that were offered according to the law, behold, I came to do your will. And it says that the Lord Jesus Christ, by that birth in Matthew 1, took away the old so that he could usher in the new. And then it says this, verse 10, By that will, you and I, everyone who believes in this Son that is born, you and I have been sanctified through his offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. And I was asked by someone this week, when I've sinned, when I've done wrong, is God going to hold that against me forever? Dear folks, do not think that you serve a God who wants to hold that against you forever. Don't allow that guilt to creep into your life. What does verse 10 here say? I see it says that it was offered through the body of Jesus Christ. What? And for what? Once and for all. You pray, you ask forgiveness. It's been offered, it's been taken away once and for all. It's gone. That's the beauty and that's the grace. Of Jesus Christ. And it began with a simple little verse that says this is the beginning of Jesus the Christ. Son of David. Son of Abraham. Son of God. Let's pray. Father. Thank you. And I'm reminded that every word. In your holy word is there for a purpose. And we have performed the Passover too many times of genealogies. You've placed genealogies all through the Bible and we take them for granted like it shouldn't even be there. But when we begin to dig as to the reason behind why you put them there, we see all of these great truths and promises that they are uncovering and pointing to. The fact, Father, that you want us to realize you keep your promises. You are our covenant God. And that you had to bring forth your son. From a promise you made in Genesis 3, Genesis 12, 15, 17, 2 Samuel 7. Fulfilling and coming to pass through the New Testament from Matthew 1 through 28. Father, every word's important and it points to the fact that you love us, you care for us, you never forsake us, and the offering that you made is perfect once and for all so that we might have fellowship with you. And Father, if there is anyone here this day who has not named Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I pray that your word has been powerful and penetrated the heart. 
And it doesn't come back void. But they will say this day that they want to be a child of yours and come up and make that known. And Father, for those who are your children, may these words be of comfort and cheer. That it was for us for all that it was sacrificed. And we take it to you in prayer and you're faithful and just to forgive us. And Father, that we are your children, we are your heirs, that we receive these promises and that we are children of the king and that we are a kingdom of kings and priests, holy and sanctified before thee. Not because of who and what we are, but because of who and what you are through your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you and praise you and rejoice in this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.